my grandfather was a pastor um, back in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s for, for about 50 years, and um, he didn't use a microphone. So we're going back old school for the next few minutes. So I hope you can hear us in the balcony, but um, let me just, they're going to work on it. We know what the problem is. We had a power surge and we've blown some fuses. So if you happen to have a fuse in your pocket, head back to the sound booth. Maybe you can help us. Um, But let me say this. I I just want to pray over you. Can I just do that? I'm going to speak as loud as I can and um, you'll uh, hopefully be able to hear me. Father, we just thank you today. God, we know that sometimes we just, Lord, we plan on things, but yet sometimes our plans kind of take a left-handed turn. In fact, today, God, we're even going to talk about that. So, Lord, today we just ask you, Lord, in our own finite abilities, you're going to have to do something today that I just can't do. You're going to have to open up the hearts of your people and begin to speak into their lives a message that will forever change them, a message that will go beyond the parking lot and go into our lives as a lifestyle change, a message that will meet us right where we are. Like your Bible says, you will meet us at our point of need, and at that point, God, you will show up and show out and do things that are unexplainable. So today, God, there are people in this place who need that very, very move, that very touch. So, Lord, I just ask you just to bless us, to touch us. And, Lord, as you inhabit this place with your spirit, which I so heavily sense, may you, God, begin to do things that we can only attribute to you. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Everybody said, Hey, listen, yeah, give the Lord a hand clap one more time. And guys, you just give me the go-ahead when you get things fixed and um, give me the signal. Otherwise, we're going to just go with what we have. I'm going to ask you to be seated, okay? Um, I am going to say this. You're going to have to open up your senses a little more than normal um, today just simply because of this situation. But I cannot impress upon you enough what God is going to do in your life just because all of the extremities have been taken from us for the moment when it comes to sound and technology, you just ignore that and focus upon what God has for you today. Amen? Take your Bibles out with me and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8-37. through 37. you got to do better than that. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8-37. through 37. All right, let me, let me just kind of tell you about this series. But first, let me say, I, I, I know and I sense in my spirit that today it's going to be the birth of, of newness for some of you. In fact, many of you may have a platform of new beginnings that will be birthed in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit today. And for some of you, God is going to do a resurrection of sorts in your life. So I want you to just to hang here with me. Let me dialogue with you for the next few minutes as trying to kind of set the course, the direction for this, this series. In August, I was reading a book that was given to me by a friend. I've referenced this book a couple of different times over the last couple of months, but it was a book called The Dream Manager. 
The Dream Manager is not a book about Christianity. As I'm reading this book, I realize that it's not a book about the church. But the further I get into this book, I realize that it has every, everything to do with a godly principle. In fact, I want to take you to a verse of Scripture that I haven't talked about yet, but this is kind of going to set the course for where we're going. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20 expresses what I'm going to talk about today better than I can. You see, the book talked about, the dream manager said that if you dreamed in the corporate world and you had your employees to dream, it caused your business to be better. That is a principle that I truly believe is a God principle. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, I referenced it last week, but I pointed out a, a, an entirely different part of that particular verse. Today I want to highlight something else that Paul says in this verse, and I want to use the message translation today. So I'm going to read it from my phone, and I want you to see what it says. It says this. He expresses it better than I do, and with my phone is not broken into verse form, so I'm just going to pick up where I think verse 18 begins. And he says this. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in all or with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. I love that. We'll be able to take in the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Now, let me just say this. When the Bible was written, it was written in paragraph form. Man has since gone back and edited the Bible. We've broken it into verse form so that it's easier for us to follow, easier for us to find the verses that we're looking for, easier for us to study. However, verses 19 and 20, there's really no separation in these verses. They're written in a paragraph form, one goes right into the next. One sentence ends, period, then it goes right into the next sentence. So really, you have to see verse 19 this way. It says, test its lengths, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. How many of you want the fullness of God in your life? Amen? Look at how verse 20 starts out. If you want the fullness of God, he says, God can do anything. Oh, hold on a second. Don't, don't applaud. God can do anything. He didn't say some things. It says God can do anything. Hold on. If you want the fullness of God in your life, you may want to mute that while he's working on it. If you want the fullness of God in your life, God can do anything. Read on. He says, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest what? Wildest what? Free. Everybody say it. Free. Everybody say it. Free. Really loud. Free. God wants us to dream. Hang on a second. God has given us this divine ability to dream. Now, this can be a dangerous message for, for a pastor because you may think that I'm talking about taking that right now and just dream. I'm not talking about that. I'm going much, much deeper here. You see, God has given us the ability to dream, and in the midst of our dreaming, there are things that happen called God dreams, where God takes these extravagant 
fact right here that God schemes in a gentle way to bring about our fullest and our wildest dreams. I, I, I love this. Now think about this with me, because in my study this past week, I was thinking about this concept. If God can do anything, why is it that we settle for subpar things? Hello? I need some holler back today. If God can do anything, why do we settle for subpar things? Now, I I want you to get with me. I'm not talking about materialistic things. Much, much deeper. I'm not talking about why do I have to settle for the house I have? I want her house, not my house. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking in a much deeper sense. Why do we, if God can do anything, why do we settle for subpar things? Or maybe let me express it this way. If God can do anything, why do we settle for subpar or sub-God things? Or maybe it's better said this way. God's not short on power. So if we're not realizing the life that God has for us and he can do anything and he's not short on power, then just maybe we're short on our dreams. Hello, he's right. Maybe we're short on our dreams when it comes to God. In fact, let me set it up for you this way. Last Sunday, we had, um, at the end of service, I go to my office and I pick up my cell phone. I had text messages from people all over the country who generally tune in to our internet campus. People in Texas, people in Alabama, people in Michigan. And, and they had texted me and said, we got kicked off the internet service. We got kicked off the iCampus. We were trying to be involved in the service, but yet it kicked us off and we couldn't get back on. And, and, and so I, I'm frustrated with this, kind of like I am today. Hello? And so I go back to our staff, I go back to our IT team, and I say, hey, listen, you've got to help me understand this. We're trying to engage with the world, the mission and the message of Christ. There are people who are connected to us every single week who live elsewhere, who use our internet campus as their church, and we could not get the message to them. Tell me why. Now, I'm going to explain it to you the way they explained it to me. I'm not an IT guy, so you have to bear with me. But what they said to me is that we have a bandwidth problem. Let me write that down. We have a bandwidth problem. So I immediately said, help me understand that. This is what they said. They said that we have a cable provider who grants to us a certain amount of bandwidth. They give us access to a certain amount of bandwidth. That bandwidth enables us to take and transmit. Woo, praise the Lord. Woo! Jesus. Good Lord. Man, I'm so thankful. Awesome, awesome staff. Awesome guys. Whoever it was, huge bonus. <laughs> so, so here's this deal. We have this amount of bandwidth available to us that's provided to us to use to access so that we can transmit data to the internet and across the world. So I said, okay, cool. What's the deal? They said, well, we've got people who are stealing our ban- bandwidth. I said, whoa, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, let me explain it this way. You've got people in church who have smartphones, and they're using their smartphones to access the Bible. I said, "Uh, okay. Somebody just texted me, so don't do that. You're distracting me. I've already got enough distractions today. Um, 
So you're accessing the Bible. And they said that some were accessing notes and that some were accessing apps on their phone and that some are, 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 are looking and just kind of Googling different things on the Internet and some are, are watching videos, which you ought not to be doing in church. And so all of these different external pressures are robbing our bandwidth. And we want to do this thing called the Internet Campus, but yet, and by the way, we've had it fixed since then. It's no problem now. Keep your phones. You're cool. Just don't let me catch you looking at videos. Um, so anyway, we've got all of these external pressures that are robbing our bandwidth that are keeping us with a limited access now so that we cannot do what we're supposed to do because we don't have the ability to do what we're supposed to do. Now watch this. Why is it that we stop dreaming? Can I tell you why? It's because our bandwidth to dream is being robbed. There's all of these external pressures like frustrations, lack of money, people that you don't like that have been aggravating you that are coming in on your bandwidth to dream. Your past, sin, emotional trauma, all of these things that happen in your life that begin to crowd the bandwidth and keep you from dreaming. So dreams that you used to have, you've either forgotten or aborted or just think that they're never going to come true and you've moved further and further and further away from them because your bandwidth has been robbed. In fact, let me set it up for you this way. I counsel with young couples all of the, all of the time who... They're, they're going to be married. And so I say, okay, I want you to just to dream with me for a minute. Tell me your dreams. What are your dreams over the next 5, 10 plus years? What are your dreams? And man, they begin to rattle off dreams, just dreaming. All kinds of stuff, crazy stuff. Like really crazy stuff. And so they're dreaming, they're dreaming, they dream. But then I meet with couples who've been married for years and they're having issues and they come into my office and I say, hey, listen, tell me what your dreams are. And they look at me with that deer in the headlight look. They don't have dreams. They stopped dreaming. Their bandwidth had been robbed. But yet, keep in mind, hang on for a second. Didn't Paul say that our ability to dream gives us access to the great things of God? Hold on a second. Paul said that our ability to dream enables us to access the overwhelming things of God. Think about this with me. When we're kids and we're in our purest form, we're dreamers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I dreamed. When I was a kid, man, I had some dreams. I dreamed that I could have any girl I wanted. I'm just being honest with you. I dreamed I could have any girl I wanted. That's how I ended up with my hot wife. I also dreamed, guys, and you'll understand this, when you're playing backyard basketball and you're by yourself and you do that countdown that five four three two one i never missed because if i missed i'd just dream again five four three two and then when i made it and the buzzer went off and i won the game i grabbed the girl and went to mcdonald's i dreamed you see i also dreamed that i would own a business one day i i dreamed that i would be a pastor and that i would speak or sing to to Crowds that were in the thousands. I, I, I dreamed that way. I dreamed that I would have ten kids. Until we had three and that killed that dream. You hear me? 
<laughs> I, 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 I dreamed. We dream, but yet what ends up happening is we forget how to dream. We abort our dreams. We forget our dreams. We move away from our dreams. The hustle and bustle of life gives way to survival. In fact, that's what 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37 is all about. It's an incredibly passionate piece of Scripture that talks about this person who forgot her dreams. She settled for a lesser life because her dreams were shattered and she didn't know really what to do and she just kind of moved on from them. In fact, let me set this up before we read it. It's a story about two people, really. Elisha who's this incredible man of God, and this woman, who's a very affluent woman. Elisha's traveling all around the countryside. He's doing some incredible miracles. I mean, there's just some stuff that is just happening. And so many people are drawn to him. And he's traveling here and there and everywhere and all this stuff, this man of God, the Bible says, performing these miracles. And so he comes to a town called Shunem. Shunem is a place that he seems to be habitually returning to. And he meets this lady and her husband, who are very affluent, and this lady says she wants to do something to bless the man of God. So the lady says, I, I don't want you, Elisha, anymore staying under the Shunem stars. I don't want you, Elisha, staying anymore in the Shunem slums. Elisha, you don't have to stay anymore in the Sheraton of Shunem. Elisha, I'm going to add on to my house. I'm going to build a room. I'm going to make an addition. And with that addition, Elisha, you're, you're going to be able to live. And any time you come to this area, you're going to stay in this house and you're going to be able to rest because you're doing such an incredible work for God. It's a beautiful passage. But before I read it, I, I, I have to challenge you this way. I want you to begin with me to visualize the things that have either robbed your dreams or kept you from dreaming. I, I don't know what they are. I don't have a clue what they are. Maybe it's a traumatic experience. Maybe it's an emotionally traumatic experience. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something from your past. Maybe it's even a death. But this morning, you have a hard time either remembering your dreams or yet you just walked away from them. I want you to begin to visualize that because you'll see what this lady does in the same situation. Let me read a few verses with you. I'm going to let you remain seated. And I want to just share with you. This story really is written in two different um, scenes. I'm going to just read scene one. We'll pause and talk about it. And then we'll go to scene two. I, I want you to see this. It says in verse eight, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by and stopped, there to eat he would now when it says well to do that is the term in hebrew gadol it's in your worship guide gadol actually means she's an affluent woman she's a person of great wealth she has uh, the ability to arrange some incredible things in her life and others lives so she's an affluent woman remember that because that's going to come to play a little bit later it goes on to say in verse 9 you see her heart Says She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Verse 10, so let's make a small room on the roof and put it in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. I love this. It just kind of shows her heart. 
But verses 11 and following, 11, 12, and 13, kind of show us something different. See, something stirring in Elisha's spirit. Elisha is this man of God. He's a prophet, the Bible says, meaning he's got a direct line of communication with God. So evidently, God begins to put something in Elisha's spirit about this woman, and it begins to unfold in the next few verses. But yet, this woman at the same time really doesn't want anything from Elisha, but yet Elisha is not willing to take no for an answer. So, so look what happens in verse 11. It says, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and he stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all of this trouble for us. Now what can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. In other words, she was saying, I I don't need, I, I don't need anything, Elisha. I, I don't need anything. But yet at the same time, something's stirring in the heart of Elisha. You begin to see it happen in verses 14 and following. Look, it says, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son. And her husband, he's old. These people are in their 80s. They're, they're over 80 years old. And look what happens next. It says, then Elisha said to her, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway and he said this. He said, about this time next year, Elisha, you will hold a son in your arms. Now hang on a second. Elisha now realizes from God that there is a dream that this woman had. It may have been years ago, but she's moved away from this dream. It was a dream that was important to her when she was 20. It was a dream that was more important to her when she was 30. When she turned 40, it was a dream that she began to wonder if it would ever happen. When she turned 50, she gave up on it. It was a dream. Elisha understood that there was something going on inside of her. This dream that she had moved away from, she had points of frustration, she had points of difficulty in her life, and she didn't want to have anything to do with that dream again because all it reminded her of was the pain that she's endured for the last several years. But then look what happens because this is a beautiful sequence. The second part of verse 16b, she says, No, my Lord. She objects. No, my Lord. Don't mislead your servant. Oh, man of God. No, my Lord. In other words, he's hit on a nerve. There is something that he's touched upon. There is something in her life that now she's beginning to reacquaint herself with a dream that she once had. And she's like, no, don't, don't, don't tease me, my Lord. Don't, please don't tease me because now it's only bringing back memories of pain. No, my Lord. You see, during her day and age, her generation of people, if you didn't have a son, your life was incomplete. But yet she's saying no, she's objecting to God. You see, in other words, she has settled for being incomplete. She has settled in her life for being ridiculed or possibly feeling rejected. Or she settled in her life for infertility. And that's the way her life is going to be. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've settled in some area of your life. Maybe you dreamed that your marriage would be incredible, but the more you try, the worse it seems to get. 
Or maybe you dreamed that you would own a business and that dream has since left. Or maybe you dreamed that you would go in the ministry, but that dream has gone and your life seems to be more frustrating. Or maybe you dreamed that you would have three kids, but you don't have any. Or maybe you don't even have the husband to give you three kids and you're wondering why. Why? She's saying, no, no, no. But look at the next verse. Verse 17. It's probably one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It begins with a but. It says, but the woman became pregnant. Hold on a second. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her that she would. Now, 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 grab this. What dreams have you given up on? What dreams have you given up on? Because the more that I read this and understand even what Paul was saying to us is that while we are dreaming, God is scheming. While we are dreaming God dreams, God is beginning to work on our behalf and to do some things that we once thought were impossible, He begins to do right now, even though we've given up on those things. This is so beautiful to me because here you have this lady, think about this, who built an addition onto her house, not having a clue that because she built an addition onto her house that she would have an addition to her family. Only God can do that. You see, while we dream for God, God is scheming on our behalf. He says, in fact, Paul says that he's gently moving on our behalf. So when we begin to dream, God begins to scheme. So what dreams have you given up on? Because I want to just pause here. This is part one. What, what dreams have you given up on? What dreams... What promises? What is it in your life that you thought you would have that you don't have? Maybe, again, it's your marriage and you were so in love, but yet now your love seems to be gone. Or, or maybe it's your kids and your kids have ended up going down a road that you never thought they would go down and now their lives seem to be a wreck. Or maybe you have relational problems with them. Or maybe you have some other traumatic experience. Maybe it's a financial situation where you dreamed that you would have financial freedom, but yet you're bound... By the prison of debt. What dream have you given up on? What promise have you let go of? What shattered hope is now gone and you occasionally think about it? See, that's where this lady was at. She was like, no, I don't need anything. Why? She was a Gadol status. She could do for herself. I, I don't need anything. But yet the man of God is trying to give her everything. I don't need anything. Maybe that's where you are today. Let me just get right up in your business. Maybe some of you today, you're saying, I don't need anything, but yet you're consistently asking yourself, isn't there more to life than this? Hello? I don't need anything, but yet you're wondering, isn't there more? You see, what I love about 
God is that God stands over our lives and He looks at the dream that He's placed in our hearts and even though we've forgotten it, He hasn't. And because He's the author and perfecter of our faith, He begins to do things on our behalf that we cannot do for ourselves and He takes us from the realm of brokenness to the realm of wholeness. No matter even if we object, He still takes that dream and brings it to fruition. Here's a thought that I think you need to write down, and, and that is this. God dreams are birthed by our investments into God. Write that down. I need to explain that because I don't want you to leave saying, oh, I've got to do something to get something. That's not what this means at all. God dreams are birthed by our investment into God. You see, this story is not a formula as to how to have the dreams of God to come to fruition in your life. It's not that at all. Not at all. In fact, don't think, oh, I'm about to get my dreams. Oh, I'm about to get everything that I want. Because that's not what this story is about. This story is more about a woman who's living out the heart of God. There's a difference here. In fact, let me show you three verses again. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Chapter 4. You have to see this. Let me read it really quick for you. It says this. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he, he stopped there to eat. Verse 9, she said to her husband, I know that this man who is off, often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room for him on the roof and put him in a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. And then when, uh, he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Now, let me help you understand something. This woman is not only an affluent woman, but we can read from the text that she's also a godly woman. It just stands to reason, if she's a godly woman, everything that she possesses is a gift from God. Are you with me? In verse 9, she shows us something here that she's doing. She's making an investment that I want you to see here. Verse 9 says this. It says, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is the most popular man in the country. No. He's a movie star. No. He's Justin Bieber. No. He's just this cool dude. No. She is not building this addition onto her house because this guy is cool. She's building her, uh, this addition onto her house because this man is a man of God. In other words, she's not really doing it for him. She's doing it for God. Now, hang on, because this, this goes a, a little bit deeper. You see, she's not doing this because she has to. She's doing this because she wants to. There is something inside of her that is compelling her, and it's called the love of God. She has felt it. She has experienced it. God has shown her love, and so she has this inward heart condition that has to be expressed in an outward behavior. And when she began to build this addition, she was not doing it because she wanted something. Because remember, she said, I don't want anything. She was doing it because she wanted to express her love for God. Boy, that's some good stuff. She was doing this because what she wanted from God was nothing. But what she wanted to give to God was everything. You see, what she did basically dictated the outcome of this story. Now let me explain that. What she did did not obligate God. We cannot force God to move on our behalf. 
She didn't obligate God. What she did was she moved into a closer proximity to his power by making this room for the man of God. Now, let me explain that even further. You see, she didn't do this because she wanted something. She did this because she loved someone called God. So she wanted to move into a closer proximity. She didn't do this as a requirement. It wasn't asked of her. She did it on her own. She wanted to move closer to God. So here she is. We can't force God to move in our lives. Understand me. But we can make room for God to move. You see, this is not some mechanical formula. Again, this, God is not this vending machine. I want you to stick here with me. Where we walk up to the vending machine and we push the flavor of the day and say, give me God. God goes deeper than that. God goes deeper than, than the surface level. God looks at the attitude of the heart. And what he saw in this woman is what he wants to see in all of us. That she loved him so much that she's willing to do for him. Not that she has to, but that she wants to. That she gets to. Why? Because that is the joy of her salvation. In fact, let me explain it to you this way. Look with me in Psalms chapter 51. Write this down and read it when you get home. And it'll be on the screen. Verses 10 through 12. David writes this down. And David is a man who's more than Gadol. He has everything. He can do anything he wants to do. And look, he's the king. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit or steadfast spirit within me. Look at the next verse. I love this. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David has everything. But the thing that is most precious to David and the thing that he does not want to lose more than anything else is the Spirit of God. Take away my riches, take away everything else, but I cannot lose your Spirit because it will sustain me. But then look at verse 12. I love verse 12. Verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Look, it says, Grant to me a willing spirit. Do you know what he's saying when he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation? He's saying, God, I, I, I want to show you, give me the strength to show you how much I love you. Because I love you, you gave me salvation. And because you gave me salvation, I want to do things for you. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to walk across the street and invite my neighbor to church. I want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ because I love you. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I want to do things for you, God, that I only dreamed in my wildest dreams. Not because I have to, but because I get to. God, I want to live a holy life that's pure. Let me tell you something. Being holy is not easy. But he's saying, give me the strength to live a holy life because I want to be more like you because you have saved me, you have loved me, and out of that love, I want to show you love. But can I be honest with you? I'm just going to get right up in your grill today. So many times our prayer lives are about what God can do for us. So much so that we don't pause long enough to find out what we can do for him. Mm. Isn't it quiet up in the Lord's house? You know I'm telling the truth. God, I want, I need, will you help me? And we're so focused on what God can do for us that we lose focus of what God wants us to do with Him. This woman did not lose focus of this. In fact, the very dream that God had placed in her spirit was only birthed because of her investment of love. 
You see, let me tell you something. Saved people love people. Saved people help people. Saved people serve people. Saved people give to people. Saved people want to help the world change. Why? Because we have the answer that God loves us. He is the God that is the author and perfecter of our faith. He desires for us to move from our broken status to a status of wholeness. You see, this woman's dream was birthed as a result of her love. Listen, let me say this to you. We, we want to love on people in our community. That's why we're doing something called 15,000 Ways to Love. We're over 8,000 hours now for the year. We want to do 15,000 hours for the year. Applaud yourself. But October 6th, everybody say October 6th. We're doing something called Love Day. Love Day again, we're going to gather together after both services and we're going to go out into our city, into our community, and we're going to express the love of Christ in so many different ways. If you call this church home, or whether today's your first time, or whether you're just coming to kick the tires, or whatever it is you want, we just want you to be a part of it. We want you to help us show love to our city. October 6th, everybody say Love Day. Love Day, listen. Say it again one more time. Redeem ourselves here. Love Day. Listen, saved people serve people. Saved people invest. Saved people give. Why? Not because we have to, but because we get to. It's totally different. Let me take you back to the story. So here you have Elisha trying to bring this woman of God into a whole different realm of thinking. Her life has been gadol. It's been good up until this point, but God wants to take it to something great. You see, God wants to do something in her life that her Gadol status can't even accomplish. Are you with me? In fact, look with me at verses 15 and 16. You'll see this. I love this. Verses 15 and 16, again, it says, Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. Verse 16, it says, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. She said, no, 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 my Lord. She objected. Please, man of God, don't, don't mislead your servant. I, I, that's a painful area. It's an area that I've given up on. It's something that I really desperately needed and wanted so many years ago, but you didn't show up then. Why are you trying to show up now? I don't understand why you're doing this. Please don't. But had you done it then, if you would have done it then, everything would be cool now. When I read this, I think, you know what? We live by an if-then mentality. Think about it. If I had more money, then my family would have a better life. If I had more time, then I would volunteer at the church. If I had more financial freedom, then I would tithe. Come on, come on. Give me a moment. I'll hit on that area. If I had her kids, then my life would be better. It's this if-then mentality. And can I tell you something? That if-then mentality absolutely demolishes and destroys dreams because you're always thinking about what you do not have. You're always wishing for what you do not have rather than investing what you do have. The reason why your dreams will not come to fruition is because you are not using what you currently have. Ooh. Which is what that woman did. Let me, let me read for you a little excerpt out of, out of this book, The Dream Manager. 
I, I think it will, it will help you understand where I'm going with this. It says, what sets people apart? People are unique in that they have the ability to imagine a more abundant future, to hope for that future, to take proactive steps to create that future. This is the process of proactive dreaming. Isn't that the story of all great individuals, all great families, all great teams, corporations, and nations? In many ways, we are our dreams. Man, that's powerful. In many ways, our lives become our dreams. But people stop dreaming because they get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. Now grab this, he writes. And once we stop dreaming, we start to lead lives of quiet desperation. And little by little, the passion and energy begin to disappear from our lives. Wow. The more that I read this book, the more that I studied 2 Kings, I came to the conclusion that one of the primary responsibilities of the church is to help one another fulfill our God dreams. Hello? That's what God did for us by giving us Jesus. It's to help one another fulfill our God dreams. Can I be honest with you? I, I, I don't want people around me that are not dreamers. I want dreamers around me. In fact, I've given the task to our staff in each particular ministry to put together a master plan for their ministry over the, for the next five to ten plus years. What is it that you're wanting to see God do? in your ministry. Can I tell you something? We've got some bold dreams. Some, some incredibly bold dreams. Like dreams like this. I'm going to erase this part. Dreams like seeing thousands of people saved over the next couple of years. Not hundreds, thousands. Dreams like the 15 by 15 campaign that maybe you don't know anything about, but it, it means that we want 1,500 people to call this church home by the end of 2015, which is two years and three months from now. We have 900 people who call this church home now. The reason why we want to grow is because we have dreams of seeing relationships restored, marriages restored, people being healed, lives being changed, drug addicts coming off of drugs, homeless people becoming rehabilitized and into our community in a healthy way. We, that's what we desire. You see, we also right now have dreams of a third service. If you're here today... You can look around and see that second service is pretty packed. There's probably another 125 to 130, maybe even 150 kids and workers on the other end of this building. We have to figure out a way to continue to grow. We're dreaming, when do we do a third service? Is it a Sunday night? Is it a Saturday night? Is it a cool service on Saturday night? I, I, what, we don't know. We're just dreaming because we know... That, to be honest with you, let me just tell you how close that dream is. We're about 75 people away from having to go to a third service. Period. That, that, that's, we, we know. That is because God is, is blessing what's happening here because we desire to be His hands extended. That's it in a nutshell. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with his incredible staff. It has everything to do with what he wants to do through us. And when you're a vessel, he uses you. Hello? 
we have that dream. That's probably going to happen sometime around the first of the year. Let me tell you something else that we have a dream of. If you know that we're growing like this, there is absolutely no way that this location will continue to work for us. What are we going to have, 10 services in this building? It's impossible. We have a dream. God put a dream in my spirit years ago that I cannot relinquish. I want to do something that no other church in our city has done. Churches in other major cities have done this, but it's actually to take a retail center, a big box store that's in a heavily populated, heavy traffic area, and upfit that building and turn it into a church. We, we can accomplish that, cannot accomplish that dream on our own. That is something that only God can do. And can I tell you something without going too far into detail? There is a building that I drive by probably five or six times a week just to throw my hand out the window and say, Grace, God, your will. We're dreaming. We're dreaming about satellite locations because we want to spread out all over this county and beyond so that we can have locations all over the city so that we can go outside of our four walls and meet the demands of culture so that we can meet people right where they are. We have dreams about that. We have dreams about ways to love turning into not 15,000 hours but, but hundreds of thousands of hours. In fact, we just started a, a brand new website called Ways to Love Fable. It just debuted about uh, two or three, four days ago. You can look at it when you get home. Don't look at it now. You're robbing our bandwidth. So, um, Where we are actively logging and telling the story about what God is doing through loving on our community. That's what we dream. We're also dreaming about the Dream Center. The Dream Center is a place where we can help meet the demands of our city's homeless crisis, where we can help meet the needs of foster care parents and children, where we can create this place where people can come and be fed. It's, it's going to be a center of hope and of help and to help people establish their dreams. It's going to be a drug rehabilitation center. All of these other ways to just help our community. We're dreaming about the Dream Center. It's going to be something that's going to happen not because of our own abilities, but God. Amen? We're dreaming about all of those things, dozens and dozens of e-groups, relationships, people being healed, souls being won for the kingdom of God, broken hearts being mended. We're dreaming about those things. Those are the things that we dream about. In fact, right now, I just want you just to applaud the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. Can, can I be honest with you? These dreams cannot come to fruition without our investment. Not the staff, not mine. Our investment. But you know what? We want to help you dream. In fact, today when you walk out, you probably saw them when you came in. There's four whiteboards where we want you to go out there and grab a marker and write your dreams down. Whatever your dream may be. Maybe it's, I don't know. Travel the world. Maybe it's to go to Paris. Maybe it's to have a business. Maybe it's to do something big for God. Maybe it's to have your marriage restored. Maybe it's to have financial freedom. Maybe it's to have ten kids. I don't know. You don't have to write your name, but we want you to write your dreams down. And can I tell you something? The staff, leadership team of this church, we're going to be praying over your dreams. We're going to be praying over them because we want to help you fulfill your dreams. 
Let me take you back to the story. So she's saying, no. No, Elisha. You can't do this, Elisha, because this brings back so many memories. I've moved beyond it. It's no longer something that is even possible. There's absolutely no way, Elisha. I I don't want to do this. I'm more frustrated in my marriage. I'm more frustrated with my kids. I'm more frustrated in my finances. I hate this dead-end job. I, I, I don't want to do this. No, 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 Elisha. Verse 17, I truly believe, most beautiful, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. He says this, it says, the woman's saying no, but it says, but the woman became pregnant. I don't know if you call it that. But a dream that she had given up on is now beginning to grow in her. And what what she had once held dear is now becoming very real in her life. It says in the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. Let me say this. Earlier, I, I left out something that I need to say to you now, and that is, Isn't it amazing how we grow complacent in uncomfortable situations? We just settle. We allow our shattered dreams just to be there. Our marriage just to continue to be good rather than great. Our finances to be horrible rather than doing what we can about them to get them better. We just grow complacent in an uncomfortable situation. And here's this woman. She's saying, no, Elisha, no, Elisha, no, Elisha. But she became... God has a way of going into your complacent situation that is a shell of dreamlessness and tearing down those walls and exploding that complacency and granting to you a dream that He placed in your belly that He never lost sight of, even though you lost sight of it, even though things seem to be grim and glim and and gloom and doom, you see right now that God can do things that you cannot do for yourself. And when I begin to read this, I come to the conclusion that I am so thankful that when my faith is inferior, that God's faithfulness is superior. I'm so thankful that when I begin to pray about things that are so frustrating that I give up on them, that God objects and overrules my objections and He begins to do things that I could not do for myself. I'm so thankful that He overrules the prayers in my life, that I ask for things that I absolutely think that I need, but He knows that I don't and He answers my prayers by giving me what I do need. Think about this for a minute. There are so many prayers that I believe God overrules in our lives because He gives us what we would have asked for if we only knew what He knows. Well, that was pretty good. Kind of reminds me of a great theologian. I thank God for unanswered prayers. His name's Garth Brooks, by the way. (laughs) So here you have this woman who is... Now, pregnant, a year later, she gives birth. She's over 80 plus years old. A dream that had been forgotten, aborted, lost, gone, frustrated, has now happened. 
In fact, to be perfectly honest with you, we could stop this message right here today and applaud Jesus for His incredible love, His incredible faithfulness in the midst of our faithlessness. But how many of you know sometimes dreams don't happen? How many of you know that sometimes life takes a turn? And life isn't so clean. But I want you to know today that sometimes God dreams are birthed in places of weakness. at verses 18, 19, and 20. I want you to see this. As a pastor, it, it makes you want to really stop at the previous verses and applaud Jesus and go home and everybody feel great, but it says the child grew. One day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head, his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. Time out. She told Elisha, don't, don't tease me. She didn't even ask for this. It was a dream that she had let go of. And in the brightest part of the day, the boy dies. Why do anything for God? Why build a room for the man of God if going to come back and allow my dream to die. Why? I work so hard. I give. I go to church. I tell others about Christ. Why? The harder I try on my marriage, the worse it seems to be. Why? I, I give, I push, I pull, I hope. And, but yet my dream dies. But we're about to see something with her faith that I think we all can take a lesson with. Verse 21 says, She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door. She went out. This woman did not prepare for a funeral. Instead, she prepared for a resurrection. Think about it. The place that she had added to her home was a place that she had built for God. And now she's running to a God that gave her a dream. And rather than 
digging a hole. She is placing her son in a position and hoping and praying that God can do something. She didn't prepare for a funeral. Instead, she prepared for a resurrection. But look at the next few verses. Verse 21, I think, following 22. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And then he says, Why go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. We, we don't know a lot about this man. Evidently, he just felt like that there was no hope. Why well, go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. But look what she says. She says, that's all right. That's all right. Look at the verses that are following. She saddled the donkey and set, said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. Verse 25. Let me just read it here. Verse 25. So she set out and she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? You see, he's the man of God, but yet he doesn't have a word from God. He's not really sure what's going on. All he knows is that there's something. And she says, everything is all right. No, everything is not all right. All hell has broke out in her life. And the dream is lying on a bed in a lifeless state no breath in his body but yet she's saying it's alright she goes to this place called Mount Carmel and let me just say this there's so much symbolism here because Mount Carmel is the place that is known for fertility which is kind of ironic to me here is this woman in her 80's she only had fertility for one passion at night but now, the dream is on the bed, and the dream is dead. But then, Mount Carmel also means a place that is close to God. And then it hit me. What she's doing in the midst of her pain, she's making room for God to move. She's done this twice. One time she built an upper room. This time she's running to God on the mountain of God. This was a time when she, like any of us, could say, this is not fair. You gave me something that I had already given up. Now you're taking it away from me. This is not supposed to happen. My kids were not supposed to go down this road. I was not supposed to have this trouble in my life. I was not supposed to have this hell. I've dreamed and you took it away. She doesn't say that. fact she says something totally different she said 
I'm not willing to bury my dream. I'm not going to accept the death of my dream. Instead, I'm going to watch a miracle. I'm not going to accept the death of my dream. Instead, I'm going to watch God do a miracle. I call this holy discontent. Think about it with me for a moment. When you see hurt as a... If if, if you want to live for God and do the things of God, when you see hurt, it should hurt you. When you see someone who's lost, it should drive you to want to see them saved. When you see someone who's in need, it should force you to give. When you see someone who needs love, it should compel you to act. Why? Because of holy discontent. I refuse to stand by and watch any of my dreams die. Instead, I'm going to watch God do a miracle that I cannot do for myself. Can, can I tell you something? I read this this past week, and this disturbed me. And Do you know that 90% of the people who are told about Christ have been told about Christ from someone who has been saved for less than two years? I don't know if you grabbed that, but that means if you've been saved for over two years, you're no longer telling people about Christ, or only 10%. Where's the rest of us? It's not because we have to, it's because we get to. We have the saving knowledge of a God who loves us, who stands over us, and who knows what our needs are. We have the answer living inside of us to the world's pain, but yet we hold on to it rather than give it away. Holy discontent. Verse 27 says, When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet in a prayerful situation. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said to leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Can I, I know we're over our time. Can I take just a few extra moments and and finish reading this to you? Can I do that? You feel the Lord here today? Stand up and let's read this together as we close. Verse 28. Did I even ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise up my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. See, there's some things that only God can do. There's some things that only the man of God can do. She's saying, I'm not going to leave your sight because I know how God's been blessing you. You see, sometimes we run here, there, and everywhere, even Facebook, trying to solve our problems. Why don't we run to the one who can says but I will not leave you You see sometimes God wants you to have nothing but him so that you will know that he's more than enough 
I want you to grab that. Sometimes he wants you to have nothing but him so that you will know that he's more than enough. Sometimes dreams die, but out of those dreams, there's a newness of something else that is born. intention of doing this, but I cannot help but to think of seals. Out of the loss of a child, a dream is born to continue a legacy of a child that has already impacted more people than most of us ever will. Dreams, God dreams are birthed out of weaknesses. But look at verse 32. It says, And when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. And he went in, he shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Verse 34. Then he got on the bed, he lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body began to grow warm. Elisha turned away and he walked back and forth in the room. Then he got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened up his eyes. Verse 36, Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came in, take your son. She came in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And she took her son she went out visualize this with me for a moment here's Elisha stretches his arms over this boy his eyes against his his mouth against the boy's mouth his hands against the boy's hands if you were to have a perspective from heaven looking down, all you would see is Elisha. You wouldn't see the boy. The more that I thought about that, I realized that it was symbolism pointing to someone else who stretched their arms open wide for you and me. Jesus, who loved us so much that he climbed on a cross. His eyes pressed to our eyes because He no longer sees us as lifeless and full of sin. His mouth pressed to ours in hopes to resuscitate us so that we will live again. His hands pressed to ours in hopes that He could to manipulate our lives in the direction that He would have us go. See, that's who God is. The more that I thought about this and began to envision Elisha, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus who resuscitated our lives by the Holy Spirit that was inside of Him and He breathed into us so that we would live again. He stretched open His arms over my dreams. 
He stretched open his arms over my brokenness. He stretched open his arms over the death. He stretched open his arms over my financial insecurity. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. Somebody praise him. He is worthy. Today, I feel the Lord in this place. Father, I just thank you for an opportunity today to be your vessel. God, I just feel in my spirit that there are so many in this place who have given up on dreams. And today, you want to do something in their lives, God. You want to stretch open your arms. Place your eyes upon theirs, your mouth upon theirs, your hands upon theirs, and do things that are so incredible. If you would say to me, Pastor Mark, today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, Pastor Mark, I've got dreams that I've given up on. Things in my life that I've just learned just to live with. Hope that is gone. Things that I once thought would happen that haven't so many ways my life has been more of a shell and today I need God to come in and just kick down the wall of complacency hi thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today we'd love to hear how this message blessed you you can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com you also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.